Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Norries podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. Rowan is on the deck. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Grace is in the audience. Say hi, Grace. <laughs> And Mario Rosenstock is in the studio. Hi, Mario. Pleasure, guys. An absolute pleasure to re-meet you again. Yeah, because we were on your podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, and it was one of the most, it was one of the best received podcasts I've done. And because some of the some podcasts work in a funny way that some of the best podcasts you can do are when you first meet the guest, mm-hmm. as in you've never met them before. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's face it, when you do a podcast, you've often met the people before. Yeah. yeah. And that can be fantastic as well. But a podcast can really go well when you've never met the people before. You just meet them that day and see how it goes. Yeah. And I remember you guys, you weren't quite sure how it would go no. with me. And I think at the end, you were kind of sort of happily surprised with how it went. Yeah. And I was absolutely delighted. Yeah. And we were buzzing about it for about I, a I literally week. had a pen in the back of my head. I'm laughing. From that. I, could, I had to really just massage the back of my head like this. <laughs> because I, I was in so much pain. Oh, it was and, just and fun. I went home. I told you that. I went home buzzed off to the podcast. Because yeah. for me, it had the perfect combination between humor and thoughtfulness okay and all that sort of stuff you know yeah, but yeah. we've got to do that thing i know you're back from a cruise yeah. so we've got to do that thing of combining all the interests in your life yeah. timmy yeah cruises yeah therapy yeah prisons yeah and just have a big giant podcast cruise prison most definitely i'd be well it's a great that, idea tell you. entertainment um, yeah. in the evening therapy in yeah. the morning yeah. drinks package not for yourself wouldn't it be great though what, yeah. uh, wouldn't it just I be a great thing the like podcast a recovery cruise, cruise. the flow, yeah. the flow no. in penitentiary no yeah. the podcast cruise where basically yeah. you get up in the morning and it's like 10 past 11 you have your breakfast yeah. right and then you go straight into a blind boy yeah i'm up on the deck sleds with dj Ron there and i'm talking about cuckoos and buzzards and malahaki monkeys Right, and you go that you do your head in listening to Blind Boy, and then you go down to the two Naris and you go, lads, I had a difficult upbringing. I want, to, I, I want, to, I want to share my my issues with you. I want to pour out my feelings. Are you okay? And how, uh, are you, how, how are you today, John? <laughs> <laughs> and then you go up to the third level, and in the evening it's Mario, and he's doing the podcast, taking the piss out of all the politicians and Daniel O'Donnell and yeah. Flatley and all this. And Roy Keane. And Roy Keane. Yeah. So that would be a great podcast. Somebody better not steal that idea. I think it's a great idea. I, and then you could find yourself as an act cruising around the Mediterranean all summer long working on a cruise. It is actually a great idea, yeah. right? Because you could have a cruise with different podcasts every single day, different people. Yeah, that's, I'm saying it is actually a good idea. Yeah. started as a joke. Now I'm thinking, Whoa. I'm going to copyright we that. We might be on something here. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. But, um, yeah, we, we were on your podcast. It was a great experience for us too. Uh, Adele, a mutual friend, uh, yeah. organized it. And she was lovely and... Uh, 
Um, yeah, she gave us good feedback after us. So we were delighted. We went, we drove from there then down to Killarney to Pafalvi's house because we were preparing for our live show in the Opera House, which went great. You're in the Opera House at the moment, four nights in a row. Yeah. Tonight yeah. is your last uh, night. Oh, uh, listen, you know. What's it like? Uh, I, I've been coming to Cork since, coming to Cork doing, doing shows since 2010. And I think the first experience I had of Cork doing a show here was well, in 2010 and we put the first gift grub live shows on sale in 2010 and a fellow from cork called dave moore who worked in today fm he went mario i'm fucking having an awful problem trying to book your tickets here on the cork opera house and i went why uh, and he went they just won't let me in and then pat balfour engineer went that the opera house website had crashed and this is in 2010 if i have it i don't that actually yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i went why is it crashing and he went because of the so many people wanted to buy tickets yeah. and so it was from that moment that i realized that cork had a special place yeah. uh, uh, for this comedy uh, in its heart. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just to do with the Roy Keane thing or the Ronan O'Gara thing. I think it's to do with the idea of the piss take. Yeah. Cork people love having the piss, yeah. seeing people take the piss. And it's also a very political town, mm. very political from the Civil War, from yeah, Michael yeah, Collins, yeah. Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, you know, Labour. And it's everything that Gift Grub actually is. Real serious piss take, but also a bit of politics. Yeah. And then you throw in the sport and the Royal Queen and you've got a, a, an appetite for it. And so it turned into a place that I've come back to nearly every year. And it turned into a place that I have no bones about saying is my favourite place to perform in Ireland. Cool. And I say that like I, I say that when I'm on radio in Dublin. Yeah. And I have no problem saying it because uh, I don't know. There's a special affinity um, between myself and Cork. And that would probably as well because of the fact that I went to school here. Yeah. And I went to school here at a very important time of your life. The old hormonal time, lads. Mm, yeah. When you're like, you know, you're 14 and then, you yeah. know, suddenly, you know, everything starts to look different. And, uh, you know. <laughs> feel different. Feel different. Yeah. And so I had all these changes in my body taking place and my feelings and my emotions and what I might do for my life. And it turned out that I, I really liked girls and I wanted to be on stage. And that all happened here in Cork for the first time. Um, and I was in Ashton and I had a teacher called Mr. Daunt, Stephen Daunt, and he was kind of a bit of a Robin Williams figure in the sense that he inspired me to yeah. do plays. And I remember we did a big play, um, Death of a Salesman, and I played Willie Loman in it. And Willie Loman was like 63 year old battered salesman and I was only 16. But he was there like, yeah, you know, you really should give this a bash. Like, you mm. know, and I, I remember thinking the way he said it, he meant it. Yeah. And I remember thinking, yeah. I'm going to give this a bash. And so from the age of about 15 or 16, I was thinking very, very seriously that I'm going to try and make this my life mm. uh, in some form, performance. Doesn't it show the power of a good relationship with a teacher and oh, encouragement from How impressionable you are at that yeah. age. And I also felt that when I was doing it, because I was, like a lot of people, I was a dosser and a messer and, and, you know, I was into the crack and chasing girls and doing a bit of sport and smoking down behind the sheds and, mm. you know, escaping from school and getting, we used to, leave ourselves down by the sheets girls would leave the sheets down the window and we'd climb down the sheets onto the road and go down to Lennox's for chips and then yeah. girls would let Best us back chips in and yeah and, and girls would let us back in again and we'd be scurrying across the roof uh, trying to get into the girls dorms and all this so you know a, a bit of a messer but I realised when I was doing the play that I had this phenomenal work ethic mm-hmm. for, for what I was doing my focus I got completely focused and all I wanted to do was focus on this play and this performance and this imaginary world and um, and that's when I knew something different is happening to me here. And then we did four nights of the play and I was 16 and we did four nights. And I remember sitting off the end of the fourth night, I went out to the back of the theater into the dark and I just sat down on the steps and I started crying and I couldn't understand why I started crying. 
And it was very emotional. And I didn't understand why. And I was on my own. Mm. And I, I worked it out over the next couple of days that I was crying because I wasn't going to get to do this character again the next night. Oh, that I was leaving him yeah. behind. Mm, that yeah. this thing was now leaving my body. You were so much invested in it. I had so much invested in it. This thing was leaving my body. He wouldn't be with me tomorrow night. And mm. I'd have to say goodbye to him. And I was going to be lonely. And uh, I remember thinking that l- gave me such a powerful feeling that I want to revisit that feeling. Mm. And so that's what got me back into it again. How were you around confidence? Were you a confident kid? Yeah. Like it wasn't an issue for you on stage? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I I love listening to people who go, yeah, you know, man, I was, I was just, you know, I was terrified of everything, man. (laughs) And people used to beat me up in school and I had all, I had a big, I had two noses, man. I had four eyes and two noses. I had a big spot coming out here. The girls used to laugh at me and the teacher used to beat me up. I, I hated myself, man. I wasn't like that. Yeah. I had a, I had a very, I had an upbringing <laughs> full of love and mm. um, not, a, I had a very unstable upbringing, but an upbringing, it's a, which is different to a, to an upbringing full of love. Do you want to give us a bit of clarification on Yeah. That? <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he, he got all professional there. <laughs> Would you like to give us a bit of clarification there, Mario? And uh, the off- chief superintendent officer, Maya- Moriarty, there would take some notes. Um, how many drugs were involved, Mario? <laughs> were we talking about class A, class B, uh, class C? So, Clarification, James. Yes. So uh, it, it's actually very it's 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 one of the defining things about of me in my life. Mm. And that is that um, when I was when I was born, I was the first born and um, my f- my mother and my father had an extremely, um, I suppose, fractious relationship. They fought a lot with each other. There was quite a lot of physical violence involved. A lot of emotional violence. And there was quite a lot of trauma in terms of fighting with each other and me and then soon after my younger brother witnessing all this fighting. But it, but it, then it became more a bit more strange. And I still, I'm still trying to work through this. And that's why it's almost perfect that it's the two Naris. Yeah. Like you, you guys are into this. And, and I'm still trying to work through this. But uh, when I was about five, and my parents... And decided that they were going to go off to Germany. And they gave me the choice of whether I wanted to stay in Ireland with my grandparents or go with them. So because they had been fighting so much, um, I'd been living a lot with my grandparents out on a farm in Waterford. Mm. And I loved my grandparents and they loved me. They yeah. thought it was like their dote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the way grandparents get a second yeah. chance at having and I was like their their yeah. hero. Yeah. And I was a little blonde kid, happy blonde kid, and I was bright and I was good in school. They loved me. And I c- couldn't understand. I was 25. My parents said, you have the choice mm. of living here. And so I went, I, I'm really happy. I, I just want to stay here. Mm. And like, they didn't take me with them to Germany. <laughs> I couldn't understand it. Mm. Anyway, I still I'll don't understand. Never will I don't understand it. I talked will. to my mum about it and yeah. all this sort of stuff. Is your just, heritage German? So my dad would have been half German. His dad was fully German. Yeah. His dad was a doctor and his dad was in the Second World War. And his dad was a was a, uh, a, a an officer in the Second World War, but a doctor, young lieutenant for for the Germans. For the Germans, mm. and he, he looked like a German soldier, yeah, uh, t- six foot four, blonde, really? slim, um, but a doctor, yeah. and only twenty two. And he got posted to the island of Jersey, um, in the in the Channel Islands, mm. where the Germans took over the island of Jersey. Mm. And on that, he met my gra- my grandmother, who was a nurse for Math and Rye. Jeez. Yeah, raven-haired nurse from Athen Rye. <laughs> they fell in love. Yeah. So a Galway nurse, German. Nothing happened on Jersey during the Second World War. 
the end, then he went back to Germany with her. And then at the, the war ended, she had my dad in a, like in Germany. And then they came back to Ireland. He became a doctor in Ireland in Kilfinnan, in County Limerick. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. he set up his practice in County Limerick. So anyway. There's that, a nice story. Th- that's an amazing nice story. story. Yeah. But the other side of the family then is my, 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 my mother's side of the family, mm-hmm. which is the Waterford grandparents' side. So for some reason, I was asked to just want to do, stay mm-hmm. or go. So I stayed. And that, again, led to a lot of issues because my parents went away to Germany for a couple of years. They kept fighting in Germany when they were over there. Mm. And I thrived over here yeah. uh, in my little school and living on the farm, little blonde kid running around the farm, having a great time, doing elocution lessons, doing theatre. Uh, I was really good at soccer. I played for Waterford schoolboys and all this sort of stuff. And, um, uh, or, and uh, you know, uh, so that, that split with my folks. Because they came back to mm. Ireland then a few years later. How many years? And so then I was about like eight or nine. And then we, we got to live together again. But they kept, they were still fighting. Mm. So then I'd go back to my grandparents for a while. 12, 13, went up to Dublin with my parents. Again, they kind of split up. Mm. Um, but at 14 then, they were completely split up and I had nobody to live with. Yeah. So I was kind of living with my uncles. I was living with my aunt. All my family were kind of going, well, who can he live with now? You've taken him for a few months, so I'll take him for a few months. Is that where you went to the boarding school? Correct. So that's why then both my sides of the family clubbed together and they said, listen, let's just send him to boarding school Mm because we haven't, you know, he needs to sort sort something out. So I went down to boarding school in Cork and uh, that was a brilliant uh, experience, but again, at a very, very important age of your life. Mm. But I guess what I'm saying is that um, that whole... Um, period of my life was dominated by two things love because I had great love for my grandparents but also total instability Mm. I didn't really know and it's an interesting thing about love right so there's a hole in you somewhere yeah because I can feel that I'm being loved but I'm being not being loved by my parents so you're kind of going why doesn't my why, why did my mummy and daddy leave me? Do you know when you're in, become a teenager and you're in Cork and all that stuff has happened in your early childhood that you don't really, when you're that young, you don't understand. Yeah. But when you get a bit of a teen, you get more of a critical eye. Did, did it bring up feelings of abandonment, of hurt and anger towards them? Yeah, it did. Um, It did and, and still does. Mm. So I still have those feelings. And I'm still trying to work through a lot of those feelings. Yeah. And I actually think a lot of the reason I am a performer is that I crave, I have that Attention. need to fill the hole that exists. Mm. And it's not a bad thing mm. because it's a really good feeling. It's, it's, it's a really good feeling to, to want the love of an audience or to give an audience a great time and to receive that love back. You can be doing worse things. Yeah, You could be it. filling it with gambling and drinking and drugs exactly. and, and terror and horribleness. Instead, I just fill it with performance and... But definitely I have a drive to fill this need Mm. that obviously I have. But you asked about confidence and all that sort of stuff. And I guess the answer to that was I had plenty of confidence because my grandmother especially instilled in me. Mm. She used to see this, me performing Mm. when I was young and she used to tell me like, you've got this thing, you're great with voices and you love performing and you you look great when you do it. You sound great and I could sing and, Mm. and you just have a very nice way of doing it. And she used to keep telling me it. So even now when I go on to stage it, and I'm feeling nervous before I go on stage. I often just hear her voice and just go, tell, I hear her telling me, go on, step onto that stage. You're going to blow them away. That's and amazing. so she gave me an awful lot of love. So I never lacked in confidence. Yeah. But 
I lacked in that um, security that you get that you don't have when your parents aren't with you. Yeah. Mm. And so I've always had a very fractious relationship with my parents. Yeah. I haven't spoken to my dad in 14 years. Still alive. Still alive. Haven't spoken to him in 14 years. It's very complicated. Yeah. yeah. And um, does, know, does that affect relationships in your own? Does like from, from having that form of relationship, and I'm speaking from my own experience, um, when you don't have a structure, like your grandparents may have been a structured relationship, like, and that was good for you to see that. But my own kind of upbringing, I, I wouldn't have seen any structured man and woman kind of relationship in my own life. And it kind of it reflected then later on in years for me because I found it so difficult to have a relationship with. Nobody with, showed with, you. Nobody showed me. Yeah, I think I had, that's correct. It was so difficult for me to have a relationship with, with my wife. Even I think today. it manifested the same with me. Yeah. I mean, I was quite, I was... Like I had a very, um, when I was young, like when I, when I discovered girlfriends and stuff, I had a very dismissive attitude to the whole thing. I, I would kind of be, be running around after different girls and all that sort of stuff. And I think that was because I didn't understand. Now that I look back on it, I didn't understand what a structure in a relationship mm. was. I was kind of maybe, I kind of go out with a girl or whatever and then run off with another girl mm. on the basis that maybe I'd be afraid she might dump me. Yeah. So I'd make sure I'd kind of get another girl almost before. It's, you know, like kind of, it's like a defense mechanism yeah, against yeah. against being dumped. But the other side of it yeah. then is... You know is what it's like to feel hurt. Exactly, and you, yeah. you won't leave yourself vulnerable or open to exactly. that again. So you kind of you get in do, there before get they in get in there, you. do it to them before you do it to you so that you're always the winner. Makes mm. it very hard to maintain yeah. relationships going yeah. forward. And then. so I found that I found that also a, a kind of a pattern in my life as well, where I was afraid to get involved in a relationship with somebody yeah. on the basis that they might hurt you, mm. you know? And I think that again has to do with your folks. Yeah. It's to do with like, will they walk out on me or something? Exactly. And and it's like the minute it does start getting a bit serious and responsibilities come in, it's like, oh, it might be time to move on here now. Like, you know, yeah. um, and I've noticed that. The more, the more you're invested in it, <laughs> <clears throat> the more you have to lose, the more it's going to hurt when Correct. it goes wrong, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you have, that's the more, fair. The more, in, the more investment you have, yeah, the more there is to lose. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking here while, while we were speaking, and, and it, it gave me so much more of a, a knowledge around your your life. Like people know you for being Mario and the voiceovers and the comedy and everything else. But from listening to you and listening to your story, people are going to relate with so much, and they're going to love you even more. Mm. And that's what I was. Come, I was just getting a message to my head. People are going to get to know Mario for who he is behind yeah. the stage. Well, it's interesting talking about these things because I used to think that talking about these things was not a good idea in public yeah. because um, I had a kind of an idea that you must maintain your image as a performer. Yeah. Um, and it's only in the last three or four years, three or four, five years that I've realized um, that there is no harm at all mm-hmm. in, to- in talking and talking. And in fact, I've often used these kind of forums, whether it be interviews, even newspaper interviews, or even something like this, as a chance to, um, as a, almost, almost a bit of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> because we're, we're, we're forced into this peculiar situation where you two guys are facing me. Mm. We're not in a pub. We're not drinking. We're just talking. Mm. So I kind of decided after a while, you know what? I'll use this to work through my thoughts mm. about things. And so I think it's a good idea. I've said it from day one. As soon as we started this podcast, this is a therapy for me and Timmy. This yeah. is like a, this is a support for me and Timmy. Every week we come in and we talk to people about issues related to their childhood, addiction, or mm, yeah. 
and you come out of here and you're thinking, you know what, that was fucking good for me. It was good for the guest and it's good for the people. It listening. is. I also think you're onto something in terms of when you dig deep into people's lives and you go back into one to seven years yeah. of age, mm. that's who they are. The formative yeah, years, aren't they? That's where it is. Yeah. That's where it is. And very few people talk about these things. Yeah. But mm. I think you are, a lot, a lot that happens to you between those ages determines what is going to happen to you and, and uh, the into whole, your psychologically for therapy the whole the whole area of therapy for me is is for a person really going back into that era of their life yeah and maybe accepting this the, the real stuff that they, they don't understand acceptance really is the key and and when i say acceptance it's not it's not a mental thing that you say i'm going to accept this no today it's it's more or less it's like this is something that has happened in my life i may not understand it it still brings up shit for me when i share shit no different forms of feelings and emotions but you know what it's here it's not going to go away but it's the moment we start fighting with these areas of our lives that we don't understand and these feelings that make us feel low we're in trouble yeah the damages that we have the damage that we are as people the damages that we get as people are the substance are the accumulation of what we are Mm. you know when people go I'm working through my problems. I'm doing this and doing this. People sometimes mistakenly believe that at the end of that process, they're all going to be smoothed out and that they're fixed. On the contrary, you're not fixed. You're the same as you were before. It's just that you have a little bit of a greater understanding of who you are now. So like we are who we are. We're all damaged. Some of us are damaged in different ways. Some of us are severely damaged. Some of us are not so severely damaged. But we all are who we are because of the damages that we carry around. Mm. And that's what makes us interesting yeah. as people. That's yeah. what makes, gives the color to our lives. I don't think I could be on stage tonight. And you're, I know you're coming to my show tonight. Yeah. And last night was just like off the fucking charts in terms of <laughs> the, the buzz in the room. Right. Mm. And you'll see this tonight as well because it's Saturday. So it has to be in Cork. Yeah. But like, I could, don't know if I could do what I'm going to do tonight were it not for the fact that I am slightly damaged. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, like that's not to say you mean you're off your rocker like <laughs> no, no no I'm not off my rocker I'm just saying you are who you are yeah, and that makes you do you what are. you do so for example I'm driven to get out onto that stage and create the energy I do for reasons I'm not quite sure about but I definitely think they have something to do with who I am as a person which is what I was as a kid do you know what you make a great point there do you know what it made me think of do you know um the Kardashians stepfather, what's his name again? Bruce, Bruce, Jenner. Bruce Jenner. Jenner, yeah. What's the Chris? What's the female? It's it's a girl, no, it's a woman, no. Caitlyn Jenner. So there's a brilliant documentary on Netflix about Ron follows her on Twitter. Caitlyn right. Jenner, but Bruce Jenner. No, he, I've seen it. So it's Brett Bruce, the athlete. Yeah, but he was he 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 was internally he was a, he was a woman, but he was a man, right? And he because he felt like a woman, he wanted to portray his masculinity and he got so obsessed into the train that become one of the, the world's elite athletes to show everybody he was a man and he was uh, so strong and fit and fast and he won gold medals and broke world records and everything but in the end he just gave up and became the woman that he was supposed to be but like if he wasn't that woman internally if he wasn't trying to mask that woman and bury that woman would he be, would he have driven to those lengths to be that elite yeah. Athlete, yeah, correct. Yeah. It was the obsession. It was. Yeah. It was the obsession that led him to one thing led to another. Yeah, and that's what. Whatever you are, it leads you to do something that there's a thing in your microchip inside you that sends you in directions mm-hmm. and pushes you. There's a drive, and we all have different drives. Yeah, and sometimes you admire people, like sometimes I admire people who don't have any of this 
madness, this compulsion. Yeah. And they go, so what are you doing? Well, listen, I'd be honest with you. I work in a shop. Now, I am a happy person. Yeah. I have a, a wife, a kids, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, and I've never been happier. But do you not want to like, no, I don't want to get out and do anything else. Yeah, I'm just happy. And, I, and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic that somebody could find that yeah. somebody would be happy just being. I completely relate to that because um, I, I've spoken to the people as well and they're grand and happy and I admire them as well. They go out to work at nine o'clock, they finish at five. But there's something inside me won't let me do that because I know it, it's just there's more. There's more and there's more. It's like there's an, there's no end to what we're, what, what we're made to do with our lives mm. as human beings. We can yeah. keep, but we need to be in a certain place in life. We need to get over our stuff, yeah. get over all these issues that we have, a lot of us, and see that we're actually capable of going on to be a doctor or yeah. a teacher or a shopkeeper or whatever you Absolutely. want to be. But actually, it just, le- just leads me to think of another couple of areas, which actually might be interesting for you guys in terms of your podcast to... to, to uh, investigate and that is one of the I used to say this on a radio show I did on Today FM I used to have this radio show called uh, uh, The Sunday Roast and um, uh, one of the interesting things I brought up once and I still think it's a big thing is and it, it's from personal experience is that one of the most untalked about things in Ireland we, 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 we're used now to talking yeah. about being open about our mental fragility yeah. um, being open about being abused physically or emotionally in schools or as youths. Um, we're used to talking about discrimination, um, homosexuality, homophobia, um, all this sort of stuff. But one of the things that's still a taboo in Ireland is talking about our families. Mm. It's still a taboo to talk about the damage my this did to me, my mother did to me, my father did to me. And I don't mean physically. I mean the coldness the fact that, you know, this idea of you look at another person's family and you go, ah, I think they must be a perfect family. Yeah. Now. And then you, you you scrape behind it and they go, they're even more fucking bonkers than my <laughs> yeah. family. Yeah. And every family is bonkers, you find out. Mm. And then you find out the brothers haven't spoken in 30 years. Mm. Those yeah. two brothers. What? Those two? Jimmy and Glenn. Mm. No. And he hasn't spoken to the mother. And la, la, la. This is the, the, the thing. One of the things that I think needs talked to talking mm. about in Ireland. Mm. I don't know how it can be done, um, maybe on your podcast. But the other one that I think is an interesting area to talk about, we talk about alcoholism and gambling and, and problems. One of the biggest problems I think that goes unnoticed in Ireland is people who are workaholics yeah. mm-hmm. and they're drowning all of their lives out in work. But it's the same as gambling, alcoholism and addictions. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're, 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 this is the new addiction. These can, well, he's a workaholic, yeah. right? Bollocks. Any aholic is terrible, you know. It needs. We need. There needs to be more education around what a workaholic is really in this country because it's not understood really like the other addictions like alcoholism and gambling because people only notice them for being addictions because of people getting hurt and people hurting themselves and mm. uh, violence mm. and. Robbing. I think. I think I was falling into that category there yeah, myself in the last few months. The workaholic piece because we do this podcast in our spare time and we work full time outside of that um, and seven days of the week I was consumed with either my day job or the podcast and it just I was close to fucking saying fuck this this is not worth it since then we brought in Grace who's in the studio she helps us with the social media we brought in administrators so we can delegate some of the tasks and now 
get a bit of life balance back. I can be there for my wife and I can go to the yeah. gym and all that stuff. Yeah. That's vital. It's yeah. very important to have yeah. downtime. Yeah, exactly. Downtime, because it's just that some people end up um, shrouding their problems under work mm. uh, and they're using work as a, as a way to cover up the fact that they've got deep psychological problems, which mm. they, they, won't, they don't want to come to terms with. Mm. You know, they say, well, I'm not gambling and I'm not drinking and I'm not, well, you, you're still hiding. Yeah, you know, from all your issues. You made yeah. a great point a while ago, and the, the, the terms you used as well was brilliant because you talked about um, uh, how you use the drama and the comedy and the acting and the singing yeah. to fill that void, that circle. Or uh, the um, we had Doctor Gabor Mate. He's a quote on the wall there on the podcast. He's a leading psychologist on trauma and stuff like that. But he has a book called "In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts," and we often refer to it here. But the, the, the title of the book is from an old uh, Buddhist kind of teaching, and the hungry ghost is stuck in a place like purgatory, you know. And the hungry ghost consumes everything to fill the void, but it never fills the hole because that's a, an inside job. But in addiction terms, like me and Timmy fill the void, try to with, you know, drugs, alcohol, and all yep. these gambling and stuff like that. But no, we like when you do some personal development and you become more aware and all these things, you get a bit, bit of better life balance. But another guy we had on the podcast was Dr. Bessel van der Kork, and he's another leading psychologist in the world. And uh, he was involved in the trials, the first trials of Prozac to treat depression depression and uh, he's an expert in post-traumatic stress disorder and all these things but no he's kind of on a crusade against medication right and one of the key things he talked to us about is there's the evidence to show that people that are recovering from traumatic experiences in their life whether it be family issues or violence or whatever medication can suit some people but it's over prescribed but what one of the key things that people can do to heal from trauma is drama singing acting dancing and mm-hmm. when you were talking like that it's like you found your cure or you found your your coping mechanism you didn't have to read a journal article or peer-reviewed piece you just found it naturally you know mm-hmm. but some people don't find it naturally because mm-hmm. they don't have the grandmother that you have yeah. yeah but like although it would be funnier if i did be, re- did become this after reading a peer-reviewed piece yeah and i appeared in the cork opera house tonight and i said lads <laughs> the only reason i'm here is I read a peer-reviewed peer star a few years ago that advised me to fill my love with drama and acting. That's why I'm here. Ball on, lads. Yeah, makes a, makes a lot of sense though. What you what you were saying there yeah. about filling that void for that that void was alcohol and drugs for us, and yeah. and and for some people it's 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 comedy and drama. Have, you know, like I think about you know the potential. Obviously, you had a huge amount of talent and potential that your grandmother and the teacher and certain people in your life helped nurture that. But when you think about the children that come from the kind of unstable homes like you spoke about, but they don't have that other adult mm. and, and all that talent gets lost. Totally. Do you know what I mean? You're damn right. I mean, there's where you bring class into it mm. now because, and the class comes into it. We're, we're afraid also to talk about class in Ireland. Um, we look across the water at, at Britain and we go, oh, there's a big class society. Because it's very obvious. Very obvious. Yeah, if the queen at the top, mm. the aristocrats, the upper middle class, the middle class. And then the, the, all right, mate. And then the, like, people on the side of the road. It's yeah. like seven classes. And in Ireland, we have no classes. So they say, well, I disagree. We have a very, very subtle, nuanced class system in Ireland. If you live at, you know, between Carrigaline and Bishopstown or whatever, and you're going, well, he doesn't actually live there. No, that's not his address. 
they live, you know, that, you know, yeah. did the kind of boundaries and all this yeah. sort of stuff. We know who's, we know whose class is in whose class yeah. and that idea of getting opportunities. So I came from what might be described as, um, uh, you know, middle class because my grandparents had a farm and my, my parents were well-educated, but they didn't have any money. So yeah. kind of middle class, but without money. Yeah. Do you know that kind yeah. of thing? But I was still just about being able to give the chances. Like, for example, somebody clubbed together the money mm. to get me to boarding school. Yeah. A good boarding school in yeah. Cork where I was able to maybe find my feet. Mm. Now, in your instance, in the, you'd be talking about people who coming from less advantaged areas. They would have never. Uh, I mean, I was on a road to wasn't going to school much in Dublin. So I was on a road to Mitching and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Where to next? Maybe I remember taking, I remember, I remember taking glue mm. when I was mm. like 14. Yeah. What next? Yeah. You were on the path. Like, oh, definitely. And there was an intervention then. There was a bit of an intervention. Yeah. There was a bit of a family intervention, which went, listen, he needs to go to school somewhere. Can we yeah. get a few quid together to send him to boarding school? So a few quid was found to get me to boarding school. And that would have changed my life. Do you know when you were in Ashton? That's amazing. Ash- yeah. Ashton is obviously. That's where class comes into that's, it. That yeah. is, yeah. And, and just having that extra few quid. Just a few people- quid people can pull together and mm-hmm. say because they understood that you were going down this road and this was an opportunity Correct. to get but, you away. But this raises the issue of yeah. all the stuff you worked through guys and that is there was a few quid that was yeah. put together to get me to that school. That changed my life. Got mm-hmm. me into drama at a very important areas of my age of my life. But this is your area of life. Mm-hmm. The idea of what about that 13 year old kid who's on the bad mm-hmm. um, path? They have loads of talent. This is where the state needs to come in. This is where the caring state needs to come in. This is where we need to change Irish society and stop it being a prototype American society where it's every man out for himself. If you're on the wrong road, tough luck for you. No, no. If you're a 13 year old with potential, there should be a society which cares for its people and goes, identifies that Greek, that character and goes, no, 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 no. Listen, let's take care of them. Let's put them into the, that school over there, which they, you know, la, la, la. And, you know, that's yeah. that's that's what we yeah. should do. Care about each other. Even yeah. e- even kids that are in school, right, that are struggling around different stuff. Uh, there's a lot of talk lately, you know, around um, bringing in these assessments for children, for screening for children. Like that will help the children in our schools massively as well. So they won't be yeah kept to one side because they have but dyslexic. Are, are, are totally to me. Yeah, and they'll and they'll be they'll get the help they require. And these kids, instead of being left in the corner of the room, they'll get the help to match their ability, their educational that's ability, right. and that will change their lives too. We need to, that's where we need to work as and, well. And uh, that will change their lives. Yeah. They then will become um, potentially productive members of society mm. who will create wealth yeah. for society and they'll be less of a burden on society in exactly. terms of the health service. So, so you had like Hall Martin. Play the long game, like. Yeah, yeah, play the long game. If people are healthier, if you spend money, let's say physically, right? If you spend money on people being healthier, they will save money in the long run by not having a burden on hospitals. Mm. So what we do, we tend to let people get sick. We let them get obese, fat, sick. We put them on drugs. Then they get sick and we put them into the hospital. It costs a fortune. Mm. Wouldn't it be better to invest more earlier so that people are healthier and they don't need to go to hospital and they're not a drain on society? So you had Michal Martin here on the podcast uh, a, a while ago. And this is what, you know, I've always been saying. I used to love Vincent Brown and yeah. Vincent Brown on the television. And Vincent Brown used to always say, he's come back this time after time again. He's like, sorry, can I, can I stop you there for a second? <laughs> this country is one of the richest countries in the world. 
And they'd go, well, no, Vincent, no, I don't know about that. And he'd be right. We'd be like number 16 or 15 on the OECD list of richest countries in the world. There is no reason if we can find billions and billions and billions during the pandemic, which we did somewhere underneath the couch, there is no reason why we can't find the billions to take care of each other, to take care of our people. You said it earlier on, it's from the the age of one to seven for a child to catch them and to to teach them these buildings these good beliefs and teach them behaviors that they can really grow into stable human beings. If we want to change 20 years down the line, like if we want to change what happens in 2042, okay, we need to act now on the children that have been born at this moment mm. and start giving them the, the right services that they need, the right teachers in place. And campaigning need, for ex- those. Exactly. Yes. Education system therapy systems if there's shit going on at home for these children okay like there might be drug addiction there might be violence there might be a lot of different stuff going on inside in the family home but if there's an environment that they're leaving the family home in the morning for say seven or eight hours and they're going into an environment where there's people highly trained and educated and know about what these kids needs to are for them to flourish later on in life it's like the healthy adult if you, they will, their healthy adult would be these people within these schools. And you know what? That bit of extra care for these kids at the young age will determine how 2042 will look for Correct. us. Mm. And how many, how many people we have on the streets, how many people are addicted to drugs and alcohol and food and gambling. It's, it's no, we need to... It, it, I, I'm very confused around this, how, how how our government, like, they're so, so educated, all these people. Do they not understand how important this is? You can see how... how being how, educated doesn't stop you being in a bubble, though. So, unfortunately, they're in a bubble. But yeah. do they not know that they're all talking about how much money they're spending on, 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 on treatment services yeah. and... and, and medication for people that if are obese and, and who are struggling with their mental health and all these different things. There is a way to stop this by investing in our children of now, our young children that are, are, are sponges who are getting all their core beliefs. Like a lot of our children are going into schools where a lot of the teachers and a lot of the childcare professionals aren't educated around trauma. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that is... That's a problem. Yeah. You know, and and some of them. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Aren't probably able to be in this environment to be teaching because they sh- mm. probably shouldn't be. It's not. It's not a lack of intelligence or resources. It's no. just a lack of will. I think. Well, there's another thing. I think uh, it's related to what you're saying. But, yeah. And th- and it's this that we, we need to take the emphasis off. If we need to think about ways in our society to take the emphasis off winners and losers. Mm. Right. We live in a society which has these rules. There are winners and there are losers. We play a game. It's a game of craps. It's called capitalism. Mm-hmm. Throw your rope, your money in, see how it goes. Some will win, some will lose. Well done. Hard luck. You get the house. I'm afraid you don't. Yeah. It's fucking winning streak. That's what it is. And some of us are winners and some of us are losers. We need to take the emphasis away from that and invest or see be seen to be invested in each other yeah. as brothers. So give you an example. When a man... If you see a guy walking in Ireland and you see him across the road and he gets hit by a car and he falls down on the ground, right? That guy, all intents and purposes, is on his own, right? You go, I hope he has health insurance because I don't know, but I'm off anyway, right? I want to live in a society where I know that if that guy falls on the other side of the road, that my money Mm -hmm. is already paying for him to get better, to be rehabilitated, to be fixed and to get him back into society. He is my brother. Mm -hmm. I don't know him. I may never meet him. But in some way, I am his brother. Mm-hmm. Not I am his. Ugh, good luck to him. I've never seen him before. Mm. And that's the kind of society we live in at the moment. Yeah. I want to live in a society where if it means I have to pay more taxes, fair enough. But I want to be invested in my brothers mm-hmm. and my children. Do you children think, all over Ireland. Do you think from, say, from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, where this country was 50 years ago, let's say in another 50 years... Who knows, we might have what you're speaking about now. We might have that kind of environment where we actually do care about not just your family as a unit inside in the four walls at home, but actually everybody, your neighbours, your friends, yeah. you love them like your family. You yeah. know, yeah, well, no, but what you're doing, what you're doing, yeah. what you are doing on your podcast is part of what might be described as a grassroots moment, mo- movement, mm-hmm. which is part of people illuminating these issues first of all so the issues need to be shown so for example trauma young people being you know traumatized at a young age coming from terrible backgrounds and they will grow up into being less functional adults if they're not minded and watched so you're bringing a light or shining a light onto these situations people like blind boy shining a light onto the mental health this is important and maybe if we keep shining a few people and, and my people like myself keep shining a light on these things it will help yeah. that a, a generation of people will start growing up and going, hey, lads, what about that? What about that? What about that? And the more people are saying, what about that? Will lead to more people being in power who go, we have to put money into that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's about diverting resources, yeah. resources into helping people. There's an analogy yeah. in public health where um, uh, in round in time in the industrial revolution, there's this river, right? And a body comes down the river. So the people go out, take the body out of the river bury it and the next day there's two bodies coming down the river so they're going to take the two bodies out and they bury it 
three bodies, the next day four bodies, eventually you're going to have to go upstream to see what's actually causing all this stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where we're at now. We don't want to be just the symptom of a drug addict going into court and going to prison, in and out of prison. Like, what's that? Though? What's eventually, the route? Eventually you're going to have to go upstream. What's like, the route? Is it poverty? Is it trauma? What yeah. resources can we and invest in them there? Because it'll pay back tenfold in the future. Yeah. And we, you could look at the social democracies where in like Scandinavia and you always look at Scandinavia it's, yes. not, a, it's not a youth but they have a good system there where you have capitalism where you can you know be innovative and creative open an enterprise yes. make money but then your taxes go into social Correct. so you're not fair of getting sick you're not fair of losing your job you're, there's crashes that are Correct. affordable there's mm. annual this is it do you know what I mean that's where we, we could move you have situations whereby you know you talk about maternity leave and things like that but you also have proper paternity leave exactly where a father who can take you know nine months off his work and get paid 85 percent of their salary yeah. from their job as well this is building solid family back structures and um, creating environments where children grow up more um balanced and more healthy and all of that sort of stuff yeah so 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 it's the route and yeah. and there are other areas as well like physical physical areas one of the biggest problems we face in the world at the moment, and Ireland is a terrible um, example of that, is obesity. Mm. Obesity is an absolute fucking killer. Mm. Obesity means you die. You die earlier, yeah. always. You die of heart attack, stroke. You die. You get COVID diabetes. easier. Uh-huh. You die of COVID. You die of diabetes. You die of everything when you're obese. You've got to stop. Go back to the root and stop people being obese. Mm. Encourage people to live healthier. You know, eat better food from a younger age. Take sugar off yeah. the shelves. Take those fucking drinks off the shelves. <laughs> it's those drinks. Yeah. It's those sugary drinks. Yeah. yeah. Healthy, bo- healthy body, healthy mind. We've heard it before. Yeah. Ray Darcy loves to go for a run or else he'd go fucking mad. <laughs> right. You know, but all of these things, are they're, they're all part of the same thing. You're highlighting a lot of mental health stuff and mm. trauma and people who've been damaged by um, lives that, that have gone, taken yeah. a bad turn. But there's also the physical thing. People are just going, yeah. they're fucking... Do you know, that was something I was going to bring up as well. There, Is this after you put on a stone and a half on the <laughs> <laughs> I feel guilty now not talking about it otherwise. I've got a confession to make. The wife was on yeah. an all-in drinks package yeah. and I was in bed for 11 hours eating nothing but fucking chocolate croissants. Mario, I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. But yeah, like we're talking, we always talk about alcohol, drugs, um, gambling. We just spoke about being a workaholic earlier, but obesity is a massive, massive yeah. thing. And in Ireland. Massive. We're not scenario, good. Like, you know, because like, I'm overweight. I'm, I'm carrying more weight than yeah. I should be carrying. I'm, ca- I'm overweight. You know? And where do we where do we where do we start looking at this a little bit closer and saying, people, we need to start cutting back a little bit because it's not just going to... <laughs> so they just did the ladders know. just off a cruise. Yeah. For 11 days. He's well, like, we need to start cutting back, listen, lads. Listen, I'm actually, in, I'm actually in the process at the moment of... Of never eating again. Turkey burgers and spinach. Not yeah, we go, for me, lads. Not, not eat, we won't go to that extent anyway. We won't say never eating again. But I really, really... It gave me a great opportunity to look at my life and, and see how much strength food has over me mm. and my decisions. You know, so it... 
it actually got me thinking, like, do I need to go to see um, a specialist in some area around food and learn a little bit about more what it's doing to me? Or do I need to go at the OA, Overeaters Anonymous, where, where I might get some right. some, some good... Um, oh, I think it's definitely there's a huge psychological aspect yeah. in food. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know that we're talking a lot about filling your life with love and holes in your life. Yeah. But like, it's not a cliche to say that a lot of people fill the hole in their life with food. They do. And, and the comfort they, of it. They call it the comfort eating or boredom eating, some people call it or anxiety eating and portion controlling and they and they they just go i feel bad so i'm going to eat it'll make me feel better and and that's a way thing you can look into as well that's why there's a there's an emphasis now if you look in the diet market well i don't even think call it the diet market call it the nutrition market if you look at the nutrition market now there's quite an emphasis on i won't mention any names but a few different brands which emphasize the psychological aspect uh of why are you eating Mm -hmm. and this is how they're saying that they're achieving results because they're going to the, the route, they're going upriver, they're going yeah, upstream yeah. and they're going, no, no, no. They go, why are you consuming this food and what's happening in your life that's making you consume this food? Yeah. Rather than going, don't consume the food. Yeah. yeah. That um, doesn't answer any questions. No. And it's like, I, I'd be the yo-yo dieter. I'd yeah. be up, I'd get to a certain position. Yeah. Next, all of a sudden, I'm gone again, I'm back with my own yeah. habits and I'm yeah. saying to myself, how did this just happen? Yeah. How did it happen? Now, Timmy, in fairness, I think you should, you should lighten up a little bit. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you're Timmy's not. Timmy's always in great shape. Like, like Timmy, you'd be, I mean, the lad, I remember remarking when you, la- when the, when the lads, you came out to my podcast and I remarked yeah. what great shape you were in. Yeah. Now you've let yourselves go a little bit now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all that success. Well, I can blame the cruise anyway. And rebel spirit of the <laughs> year and all this fucking civic pride yeah, cork yeah. of the year and everything has <laughs> gone to your heads, lads. You're mainlining fucking chocolate yeah. croissants yeah. into yourselves. That's uh, what you are like. I had two, two of them this morning. For you see, there you are. That's the rebel of the year. I am definitely Rebels. Um, and so, um, no, but like you're, you're not, in, not none of us to be fair are like, I'm, 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 I'm 14 stone. So I'm a, at least a stone overweight, but it's not like, it's not no, chronic. It, it's no. not chronic, but. But I'm talking but about people who are sick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, it's also like if, if food is something that's on your mind consistently and it's actually, you if, if you're overweight and it's causing problems for your work or, or for you back problems, it's definitely something to look at, Cheers. really, isn't it? Yeah. So I but it's part of the holistic yeah. thing that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and basically, back to the, the central point, it's these podcasts, you know, you, are, you guys, whether you like it or not, are, are quasi-spokespeople for a kind of a generation out there and a group of people, and they look to you, and they have faith in you, and, um, and they enjoy you, and they pay you money yeah. and um, to talk about this good yeah. stuff. And the more we talk about this good stuff, the more that it'll become part of our agenda yeah. as, a, as a community. Mm, yeah. And that's what we need. We need kids to be a part of our agenda. We need the fellow that fell over on the street to be a part of our agenda. Exactly. We need to be talking about ourselves more, about each other. We need to be lifting each other up more. Mm. You know, not just going, right, how do I get ahead and make more money than him? Yeah. And uh, yeah. how do I become like Dennis O'Brien? Mm. No, no, no. The answer is, how do you become n- unlike Dennis yes. O'Brien? You know? And in fact, how do you help Dennis O'Brien to maybe fucking I know. stop, you know, start spending back in his own Yeah, and start, country, yeah. And, and start maybe just helping to lift other people up mm-hmm. and, and to be more interested in areas. If you have all this energy about making money, why don't you devote, devote some of your energy yeah. to, you know, talking to other people who are interested in lifting um, the, the weaker members of our mm-hmm. society up. And I mean, there's interesting stuff going around the world at the moment. You might, I know you're, you're quite, you're quite, good on your research and you like reading and you like looking into people. I don't know if you've come across a guy called uh, Rutger, Bre- Rutger Bergman. 
No. Is it Bregman or Bergman? Well, I'll, 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 you should... Um, North that Ron. Huh? Ron Daryl, North Afros. Um, yeah. So, Rutger, I'll tell you who he was, right? And uh, An Irish guy, or? No, he's a, he's, a, he's a Dutch guy. Bregman. Rutger Bregman. Look into him, right? Yeah. So, one of his central theses at the moment is about what he calls the universal um, income. And that is the idea of this crazy idea of giving everybody a universal income. Mm. Sure, where all the money come from, by? <laughs> but the idea is that the money is circular and okay. that if we spend it in the right ways and we spend it on each other and on things and that uh, the, the money flows around society and if you like, that the, that the that it helps the economy that way. Now, I, I'm not going to go into the economic aspect of it. Did but you write a book called The Spirit Level? Have you ever heard of a book called Spirit? It's actually around the same theory of what you're saying. Right. No, I, I don't yeah. think he did write the book called Spirit Level. Yeah. And in fact, one of his books is out in the last couple of years and it's been a huge book worldwide. But anyway, he, he became famous yeah. from one viral moment. You'll see it on YouTube as well. He was already an economist and a kind of a, uh, a historian as well. And he became, you know, Davos. Mm. Do you know that thing in mm. where all the rich people go yeah. to look at each other and sit beside each other <laughs> on chairs and go, well, I'm richer than you and yeah. my Richie is bigger than your Richie and, and all this sort of stuff. And they kind of almost congratulate Bill Gates and all these people go there. And yeah. David McWilliams goes over and goes, ooh. <laughs> and um, so Rutger Bregman was there once and uh, so he's talking. And in the audience, everybody in the audience is pretty much on a private jet. Yeah. Like the audience. Yeah. Imagine doing your podcast mm. in St. Luke's. And everybody there is flown in by private jet, mm-hmm. you know? That's the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, imagine everybody, about 700 people. Yeah. They're all like, they're all hundred millionaires. Yeah. Hundreds of millions. Uh, and he goes, yes, yes, it's great to be here tonight. And, uh, you know, I've been interested in this discussion and it's going great. And of course, the elephant in the room is nobody's talking about. And everyone what? He went, Tax. Place nearly died. Mm. You could hear a pin drop in the room. Eyes went down. This is the one thing they didn't want to talk about. Mm. He said, "You're not paying enough tax, all you rich people." Jesus so it was like basically, it was like basically going into a, a, you know a coke dealer's mm. convention and going, "Lads, I'm the DEA." Yeah. Um, it was the worst thing you could have said, mm. and of course it went viral all over the world because he went, "This is the elephant in the room, you people." You're not paying tax. It's the winners and losers society. Fair play. Because when you have enough money, you can get yourself into a position where you're paying basically no tax. Like Apple. Like whatever, yeah. And also you can get yourself into a situation where you can basically use lawyers to bully your way around the world. No problem at all. Yeah. And uh, I get more, you get less. I get more, you get less. The The wealth disparity between the richest in the world and the and the poorest in the world is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Mm. The wealth disparity between what CEOs around the world get paid and their employees is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. You used to find that the disparity was something like 10 times. So I get 35,000 and the CEO gets 350,000. Mm. That's a big difference. Yeah. Now it's 100 times. Jeez. Now the CEO gets three and a half million and I get 25,000. Mm. So this is the way things are and going. You know, there's um, figures then every year. It's the, like there's, we say five, six years ago, there was 20 people owned half the world's wealth. Correct. That number is getting smaller by the year. Yes. So you have like five or six key people that basically control the world's wealth, which is unreal. And it's getting whittled down into two or three people. Yes. The likes of Elon Musk, your man from Amazon. Yes. Tim, Tim Cook, or Tim Apple as Donald Trump. Tim Apple, yeah. <laughs> uh, can I bring the story back to you? Yeah. Um, 
Do you know you were in uh, Ashton, right? Yeah. So your family did a whip around. They got the money. Yeah. They put you there, but you want uh, a wealthy family. Yeah. You want a rich family. Yeah. But I guess when people are in Ashton school, you were in a class where mm. school where it was a lot of wealth in the school. Did you feel like you felt out of place, or did you fit in, or how, what was that like? Well, to be honest with you, I was in I was in Ashton, but I was also in the boarding school. Um, in a place called Rochelle House, a place which has subsequently now been torn down, and which is uh, near it. Yeah, right, just up the road. And um, the boarding school was more interesting because you had a kind of really eclectic, colourful group of people there. You might have a girl from Holland, a fellow from Russia, a fellow from Canada. The two fella, the two lads beside me in the dormitory were his name was Frayne, and he was from California, hmm. and he was like a, a surfer dude. And um, Orion, O R I O N, who I still love, and he lives in um, Crosshaven. Go ahead. And uh, his dad was Morris Henderson, and he was a well-known artist from Allahees. And um, and so really kind of colourful bunch, you yeah. know. But I wouldn't call them rich. They weren't yeah. rich. They were more like um, just a bit sort of bohemian, exotic. Mm. Mm. And in Ashton, it was more, I wouldn't describe it as, there was some wealthy people. Okay. But it was kind of a comprehensive school. So there was wealthy people, yeah. hockey, hockey, jolly hockey. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and locals. But, but also locals. Yeah. And also uh, people who were who were let's call them working class yeah. uh, level yeah. Um, and myself. So I actually probably felt I'm from Dublin. I'm from poor middle class. So mm. I'm probably fitting right in here. Yeah. yeah no yeah. problem. So, so, so in relation to that, I probably felt. Do you want to know, you finish school? Did you go to college? Or yeah, what? I went to Trinity. What did uh, you do? I went to Trinity. So this is an interesting uh, way I followed it. I was completely hell bent on doing drama. Like, so focus. I have the fucking tiger. So by the time I was 16, I was already investigating where, what next? So I knew my parents wanted to send me to college. So I go, okay, what college do I go to? So I d- identified Trinity because Trinity had what's called Trinity players and players were the dramatic society. And the dramatic society was a famous dramatic society. So a lot of famous people came out of there and um, they used to get reviewed by the Irish Times, proper reviewers. So like even when you were 18 or 19, you'd be in a play and you'd be in the Irish Times reviewed. Cool. You'd be like, wow, this is semi, so semi-professional. Yeah. And I went, how did I get into the drama society? Well, what you have to do is you have to do a uh, normal, normal under college degree in Trinity. And so I did in politics and economics. Oh, and uh, I spent all my four years doing the drama society. Didn't do any politics and economics. <laughs> but I did. I went to all the lectures and I eventually did got enough to pass. I did enough to pass, but it was like eh, over there. Yeah. So uh, it was all drama, all drama, all drama. And during Trinity, I got a part in Glen Row. Oh, really? Where? Yeah. So actually I was cool amongst my friends because I actually got a professional acting job where I got money, like real money. Like I was mm. getting like 1500 quid a month. And uh, so like, oh, I was totally scabbed on for all the drinks by my friends. It was like, <laughs> get him to, get him into the pub. So I was like, you know, drinks are on And you, for you those know. who don't know, Glenroe was the biggest thing in Irish television was, yeah. for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, I was the doctor in Glenroe, like yeah, young doctor. Miley and Blackie. Yeah, and, Blackie, and, yeah. And, Blackie Connors, yeah. 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 And uh, I was this young doctor in Glenroe. And so it was my first experience of, of, of fame. Mm. And really when you were in Glenroe at that time, you were famous, yeah. Especially yeah. if you had a decent storyline, because a million and a half people used to watch it every week. Mm. Yeah. I remember once actually, <laughs> it's an embarrassing story, but uh, I might as well tell it. So I ended up middle of this. I ended up at a party. Now I'm 22. I ended up at a party in Westport, in a clue, right? One of these parties where basically the wall it's wall to wall booze. It's not wallpaper. It's booze. Yeah. It's basically so much <laughs> booze in the house, right? And everybody's absolutely pickled. And it was like the doctor had arrived. I had arrived. <laughs> Jesus Christ, lads. It's Glen Row. Right? So it's not the doctor. It's Glen Row. I yeah. am Glen Row has arrived. Oh! 
So anyway, this fellow was absolutely scuttered. Must be 23. And he brings over this beautiful girl, his girlfriend. And he goes, How's it going? Would you ever do me the honor, would you? And get off with my girlfriend. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what? Yeah. He wanted me to get off with his girlfriend. Did you oblige him? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I went, do you mind if we step over there for a second? Because she was gorgeous. And he went, please. I'm just going, this is pathetic. I mean, your man is drunk, very drunk, asking me to get off with his girlfriend. Like, oh, good hell. Jesus Christ. But that's the kind of... Nice relationship to Madness have. there, boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a bit of madness from the days of Glen Row. And yeah. how did you get into the comedy and what was the first gig with the impersonations and stuff like that? So I was always doing voices. Okay. Um, because uh, I, I was always messing and I was doing impressions of my parents and all that sort of stuff, trying yeah. to get their attention maybe because they didn't give me enough yeah. love. Where did the big break come? Um, it was definitely with uh, the start of Today FM. So when Ian Dempsey came to present this breakfast show on Today FM, he was looking around for, he loved working with puppets and comedy and he'd worked with Zig and Zag and all that That's right, Dempsey's then back That's in the right. Yeah, yeah, so he loved childhood. being a kind of a straight guy into comedy. And I was doing a few little sketches on that station, but uh, it was only on, you know, the margins. And then he said, what about the guy who's doing the sketches? Um, and uh, we, myself and Ian met, hit it off, his complimentary sense of humour. We started up doing sketches. Uh, it was initially a three-month contract and I'm still there 24 years later. Brilliant. 24 years and yeah. um, it was sort of all tides rise so it was like Today FM was on a absolutely it was a, it was a huge phenomenon mm. between between 1998 and 2007 at least Today FM was just going up 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 and up and this breakfast show with Dempsey and myself was just massive at the time mm. you know and everybody was listening to the sketches and you know they still are but like it was particularly a big thing with Bertie Ahern mm. Roy Keane yeah. That's at right. the time and then Jose Mourinho yeah. and all this sort of stuff and and now of course with things like Michael D and Pascal Donahue and Remember Leo Radio Roy Radio Roy and, jo- and Johnson <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah fucking the, 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 the dashboard is covered in rock <laughs> the whole place is flooded in gold get off the radio no embarrassment the old fella the old fella the old fella's having a hernia he's having a hernia don't you Jesus Christ. Yes. And um and and it's just like um people responded to that, you know, and just Roy's family, Roy's brother Johnson, yeah. the adventures of Radio Roy, mm. the idea that there was a little radio station that Roy used to host a mm. show on. Uh, <laughs> I know, you know, I remember oh, it well. Welcome back to Radio <laughs> Roy. Yeah, I know. At the end of the day, Radio Roy. The laugh as well. And Dennis in the background. Oh, you're right. Oh, fine, right. Did you ever meet Roy? Yes. What what does he make of it? Did, well, he give you feed, did he ever give you feedback on that it? Was, that was what I was going to ask you. That was my question at the beginning. Remember the one I, I yeah. said I'd save? How was Roy around the Aikino and all the yeah. impressions so, well, and I mean, stuff? I, the Roy thing at the time was 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 massive. And, uh, you know, I couldn't go anywhere without people giving me their phone and going, do all my voice messages, Roy Keane, will you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be there basically spending half my life going, all credit to <laughs> Timmy, oh credit to Timmy, he can't come to the phone right now because he's out training with me at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> What's her name? Jenny. Oh credit to Jenny, she can't go. She can't go back to the salon today. She's out training with me and Manu. Oh, so it was massive, and then um, it was like it never even entered our head that we'd you know we're taking the piss out of Roy Keane, like mm-hmm. so, like you know, just to get on with the show. Yeah. And one day the phone rang, and the marketing people came up and went. Roy would like to meet you. <laughs> You're in went, trouble. <laughs> what? Are you taking the piss? And they went, no, no, no. He's in for the Irish guide dogs for the blind. And uh, he'd love to talk to Roy. 
Roy, you, me, Roy versus Roy. Yeah, so you'd be at the Radisson Hotel today in Stilorgan. You have six minutes. So into, into the room I went, and there he was. Yeah. And all the glory of Roy Keane, the green eyes, fucking the claw. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I sit down with him. And uh, I knew I only have six minutes. And he goes, how's it going? And I go, how's it going? And he goes, um, so what do you want? And I go, well, obviously I said before, like at the end of the day, um, people say I talk like you. He went, nah, I don't think you talk like me at all. I went, well, obviously they do. They say at the end of the day, people say I laugh like you. And he said, no, you don't laugh like me. And I went, no, I do laugh like you at the end of the day. And he went, make me laugh. <laughs> I just like, Roy Keane looking at you oh, said, make me laugh. <laughs> no, so yeah. I said, I said, I'm not going to tell him a joke because he won't laugh. He's Roy Keane. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll say something ridiculous and I went, okay, um, the FAI is a monument to professionalism at the end of the day. And Roy went, <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and he went, <laughs> and we both, so we both sounded like each other laughing. And he went, okay, fair play, you do laugh like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of winning him over, yeah. so yeah. it was, it was, I suppose it was like a jumping over a, a tight wire. Mm. And I, and I kind of... I, he's a funny guy himself, isn't oh yeah, he? he's hilarious. He he's is, lovely. Yeah. And he, he, he was fascinated by my thing. Um, what I do, the sketches I do, like uh, he liked other characters that I do as well, Steve Staunton and Robbie Keane and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's similar with Mourinho as well. When I met Mourinho and Mourinho was there, um, I, 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 I was with Mourinho. You we're were having invited a, to Chelsea? Yeah, and we are having a bottle of wine together <laughs> after the gig. And he's there like, I, I'm, I'm in a dream world at this stage. Yeah, so yeah. Did you have to do Mourinho to the Chelsea yeah, players? in front of Mourinho. <laughs> and they're all looking at me laughing and they're looking over at him. <laughs> and he was literally had to give them like, and I'm there in my scarf and my coat. And then afterwards he said to everybody, go to bed, all of you, go to bed. Yeah. Makaleli, Drogba, go to bed. And they all just disappeared out of the room. And I went, where are they all gone? They went, Drogba has gone to get the massage. Makaleli has gone to play PlayStation. John Terry is watching match of the day. He knew exactly where they were gone, where they were going. Do you want a bottle of wine? And I went, yeah. So we sat down for a bottle of wine and he went, I've been listening to your CD. It's fantastic. I love your Mick McCarthy. Do your Mick McCarthy. And I, like, <laughs> and I went, I was like, do my Mick McCarthy. And he went, do your Mick McCarthy. And then he went, and I went, okay. Went, All right. It is Mick McCarthy. It is Mick McCarthy. It is Mick McCarthy. It is fantastic. Yes, fantastic. It is Mick McCarthy. So he, like a child, he covered up his eyes to listen uh, to my impression. And, he, and Ireland had no rugby football manager at the time. <laughs> Ireland had no football manager at the time. And he went, like, there's conversations you're having with him. And he goes, mm. who do you think should be next football manager for Ireland? And I went, I, I don't know. We're kind of in the middle. Of, we're stuck at the moment. We have no manager. I went, who do you think? Roy Keane. And I went, why Roy Keane? And he went, because Roy Keane is invincible. <laughs> He's a Roy Keane fan. Yeah, because yeah. Roy Keane is invincible. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's the way that's, they see each other. Yeah, yeah. that's praise yeah. coming from Marine. You're yeah. like, yeah. That's, but what was lovely was, um, then he tell me, like, the song you did about me, very nice, mm. very nice song. Every morning I drive Matilda and my child uh, to school. And I'm playing the CD in the front of the car, and we are all singing it together there in the back of the car. <laughs> I wear my coat. La, la, la. And I'm this is fucking surreal. <laughs> Jose Mourinho's in the front of the car. La, la, de, de, and they're there. Whoa, la, la, la. And their dad. 
Oh, you were like, that, you weren't imagining that happening. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. Actually, if, I, I, there's a brief addendum to that then later. Because about a year later, I got another call from Chelsea. And it's like, um, um, Mario, Mario, this is Simon again, Simon Greenberg, the director of communications. Um, you know, Roman Abramovich. Uh, and I went, well, of course I do. So his wife is here with me, or his girlfriend. And uh, she wants you to write a song about Roman oh, for his birthday. So they thought they could, you know. So, uh, like, so they wanted me to write a song, I think sung by Mourinho, yeah. about Roman Abramovich for his birthday. So can you get back to us or whatever? So I just said for the pace, right, take the pace, right. So I just said, right, I'm going to char- charge them an, eno- you know, an yeah. enormous amount of money, right? <laughs> so, no, so I think I said uh, 25 grand. Yeah. Anyway, they came back to me and went, I'm afraid we can't do that. That's way too expensive. It's way beyond our league. And I'm going, Roman Abramovich. <laughs> Billionaire. The billions, like. Yeah. And i like, you know, they can't afford me. <laughs> well, fair play, Joe. Well, I just said, I just said, listen, I have no interest in writing this song. Yeah. If you want me to write a song, yeah. 25. Like, like he's not somebody in the public eye. And no, but it's not just too that much they, they had him. seen the other songs, yeah. so they were going to do another one. And I was going, ah, yeah. fuck off. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, Marino as a character, though, you could write yeah. whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, exactly. Him. But it's funny the way people, yeah. what was funny about it was that, for people who you think money's no object, mm. money was an object. Yeah. Oh, they were, they were, no they, they, didn't, they didn't make it and gather it by being, correct. you know. So, something you mentioned there, what got me thinking about was um, some people coming up, Chan, do do this voice, mm. do that voice, do that voice. But do you think in later in your career, I know with the podcast and stuff like this, that um, people are getting to know the real Mario. Yeah. They, they don't look at you as Mourinho and Roy Keane. Oh, yeah. They see Mario now. I think they see both. And I think that's, Something that I, I, I alluded to earlier on in the conversation that I found it, I wondered, would that be difficult for me to separate those two or, or, or join them? And it isn't. People just, people realize you are a human being. Yeah. And I think it's interesting for people to see the, 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 what's behind this, these voices on the sketches. Because obviously I don't do just voices. I write sketches. Yeah. So if you ask me, what do you do for a living? I would probably say I'm a sketch writer nearly. Yeah. Because that's what I do. I mm. write. Every day of my life I'm writing. You know? So... I write sketches. Are your sketches based on what's going, what's current in time? Yeah, and I then? flip them. Okay. So, for example, let's say last week, what we were all last talking about last week, turf. Okay. Mm. Turf. <laughs> turf. So, I came up with this idea where Ross Kemp, you know Ross Kemp? Yeah, Ross Kemp. I'm Ross Kemp. Yeah. I've been in some of the most inhospitable drug regimes in the country, in the world. This week, this week I'm in era where they're concentrating and clamping down on a new illegal substance, turf. <laughs> right? So he goes and he interviews, this woman is 74. She's clearly addicted. <laughs> How do you take it? Well, you burn it. You burn it and, you know, you get around the pub and you have a bit of crack. Turf plus crack. Error is out of control. <laughs> I decided I'd find how to score some turf. I went into a local bar in Error. All right. Oh, we don't. You know where I could score some turf? Absolutely. Turf is everywhere in Ireland. Oh, my God. They're sick. Where could <laughs> I get some? Pete. Pete in the bog. I went looking for Pete in the bog. <laughs> but after spending three hours in the toilets, he never turned up. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. He was obviously <laughs> dealing on the streets. So... That's what I do. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so it's the idea of you take a story in the news uh, and you go, is there a funny flipped idea on this? Yeah. Um, so this was Ross Kemp 
uh, investigating this mysterious substance called turf, which the government has suddenly <laughs> decided to crack down on. Because remember, they asked people, "You can't. We're going to we're going to make it illegal for you to deal now." Fuck. So I turned it to, in my mind. I turned turf into a drug. Yeah. The creativity and imagination. So that's so basically what this what what I do is I think of ideas and I write sketches and then I put voices on top of it at the end. But that's what I do. I write sketches. So to answer your point, yeah, it's interesting for people to meet or find out about the person who does that. Yeah, because I'm not just a uh, a ventriloquist Mm. or an impersonator. Obviously, there's a there's a brain that goes into it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And so they get to know more about the curiousness, uh, the curiosity of a person who does this. Yeah. And uh, and to be fair, like when you came on my podcast, I mean, people can see mm. uh, me talking to you and listen to me talking to you. And it's the same brain. And when we had the crack and I'm yeah. Leo ringing in when yeah. I was Leo <laughs> ringing into you and all these guys, it's the same person that puts together those sketches. Yeah. So. Uh, does it take a lot of time? To it work? does. What happens is that um, eventually you, it's just an interesting feature of your life, but what eventually is you, you basically become a person who thinks about sketches all the time. It's not like you're a workaholic. It's just like, it's more like being a doctor. It's like mm-hmm. when you, when we walk down the road, I kind of see a different thing than you're looking mm-hmm. at. I'm always on the lookout for, okay. Do you remember when Matt Damon walks in, in the born identity? I think it is. And he walks in to meet your man um, in the restaurant mm. and um, he goes, what, what, what are you thinking? Matt Damon is going, well, at the moment, I'm thinking of all my exit routes out of this room. Yeah. I'm thinking the guy over there is 215 pounds. I'm thinking that guy is probably from the mafia. I'm thinking he's carrying a knife and I'm thinking there's a fellow beside me about 15 yards away. No, he's scoping out everybody. Yeah. His, his eyes see things. He looks yeah. out for things. Mm. Other people are. So when I'm walking down the street, I'm looking at stuff. There's thinking, mat- material is, everywhere. Is there material everywhere? So f- that's exactly it. So for me, the world is full of material and potential material. And like when, when I was, in, I, tell, I would tell a story in the tonight, we should see it, it was about the checkpoints during the, the COVID. So mm-hmm. I remember being at checkpoints and watching people and just thinking, is there anything I can use here? You know, there always is. Yeah. So you use stuff. And so you're always looking for sketches, you know, you're always looking for sketches. Um, and uh, and that's it. It doesn't mean you're working all the time. It just means your 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 focus is slightly adjusted. Yeah, which is slightly different. Yeah, yeah. I understand completely yeah. because it, it's the same with me being in the construction industry. I'm always yeah looking at roofs. Or, there you are. Or yeah. looking at the fellas exactly working. You know? Now there's yeah. another aspect to that as well. Is and and it's it's a mental health aspect. Yeah. And that is to be open to looking at things. You need to be healthy. Yes. Mm. You need to be outward looking mm. and you need to be receptive. Yeah. And you need to be um, spongy. And to be spongy and receptive and open, you need to be happy mm-hmm. and, and mentally happy. Because when you're not mentally happy, you are withdrawn, yeah. introverted, introspective and selfish. Mm-hmm. You've, one of the key things about people who have difficulties with their mental health is the amount of selfishness that's involved me 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 my problem my problem my my difficulty my pain i feel pain me my pain it makes you completely um solipsistic the idea that you're the only person that matters in the world yeah. the same as someone that's addicted to alcohol correct yeah. so when you release yourself from all these things you become more interested and engaged in mm-hmm. other people and that's what the, the solution exactly, is yeah. so how i try to stay fit or start stay healthy is I try not to drink too much. Mm. I do love a drink and I try not to drink too much. And I try to get a lot of exercise and I play a lot of tennis and I do a lot of walking and all that sort of stuff. 
um, and that keeps tries to keep you as open as uh, keep you as healthy as possible in terms of your mental yeah. outlook. Yeah. But by the same token, I get you know I can get down as well, you know, and and I can get uh, the blues as well. Yeah, and that's not nice. We're only human. Mm. We're only human. Ups and downs. Yeah. And do you know what? Do you know what's very important about what you just said, Mario? But when we do get the blues like that, you know, we have to understand that like if. There's no two days the same. Tomorrow's not going to be as bad as it is yeah. today. This you will know? pass. This too exactly. shall pass. This will pass. That's that's you it. I, I have said that to myself. And, and that always, I have that in, in I mean, no, just sewn into my brain that anytime that will ha- I'm down or low, that voice just appears. Tomorrow's going to be different. That, that's right. You know? And it's and, and it could be dramatically different. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's just a total turnaround. Mm. Exactly. You know, and I think, oh yeah, the other one I would say in, I'm, 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 I'm interested in, you know, how to fix these things as well. And I would say that in my experience, just my day-to-day life experience, one of the most important things you can do is sleep. Mm-hmm. I can't, I know it sounds boring. It's one of the most important things a human can do. Get enough sleep yeah. and get regenerative, decent sleep. Good sleep, yeah. Because that gives you the fucking power for mm-hmm. the next day. And mm-hmm. not only the power, the, pers- the, the patience. Patience is a really important aspect I find yeah. in life. To be patient with people who are pissing you off. Yeah. Don't lose the head. Yeah. Patient in traffic. Patient with taxi drivers. Patient with the fellow that cuts you off on the road. Mm. Don't bite their head off. But you'll easily bite their head off when you, you're, 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 you're narky or yeah. angst. <clears throat> and if you're not sleeping right, you're more likely yeah. to be narky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go back to the route. Go upstream exactly. again. Get a good night's sleep. Exactly. And uh, it sounds like you've got a good uh, self-care regimen there in terms of... At least I'm aware of a few things. Yeah, yes. that, that makes That's your important. life more manageable. But look, we won't keep you any longer. Uh, you've a life... to do now. You've a life... Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, yeah, I won't name the hotel because you'll have all your roadies over your bed and your window. <laughs> but uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Of course. Again, lads, a pleasure yeah. talking to yeah. you. I always feel when I'm ta- talking to you that there's... Mm. There's nowhere else to go but being just fucking honest. Just, exactly. And, and just present. Present, you know. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's, you can be, you don't have to be absolutely anybody else but yourself yeah. when you're sitting at this table yeah. with us. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and I look forward to the show tonight. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're very welcome. And it's, what is it, James and Timmy by six. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Was four. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mario. And we'll get you on our guest list the next yeah, time. Absolutely. Uh, thanks a million, Mario. Thanks, guys. God bless. Thanks. Really God enjoyed bless. it. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.